Did you notice how that song goes from the Lord is my salvation to the Lord is our salvation? It needs to be a personal relationship with Jesus. But when you know him, you're part of a family. When we gather today as a family, we can say the Lord is our salvation. And that message then we can proclaim to others that they too may be a part of that. They can say the Lord is is our salvation. We've been looking at John 17 the past few Sundays, if you have tuned in online. Uh, John chapter 17 is a prayer of Jesus. And in the first part of that prayer, he he talks about finishing the, the work of salvation, giving eternal life to those who put their trust in him. And then we talked about discipleship last week as he prays for the men that God chose to uh, work through. And, and today it, it broadens uh, to the very ends of the earth, uh, to the day when we gather with Jesus and experience the glories that he has provided for us. Today's title is uh, Finishing the Work of evangelism. So we begin at verse 20 of John 17, and we read in Jesus' name. Jesus said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me Be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this glorious uh, prayer of Jesus as we see his heart for the salvation of souls uh, to the very ends of the earth. Father, it is his desire, Jesus' desire, that we might see his glory. So, Father, would you open our minds, our hearts to your word this morning. Uh, Teach us what it means to be involved in that work of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, that others might be able to say, the Lord is my salvation. The Lord is our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A seed is an amazing thing, isn't it? Our maple tree has been broadcasting seeds all over the place. You know, those helicopters that get cut in the gutters and they're just, they're just everywhere. But a seed is quite, quite amazing. Although it might appear to be lifeless, when you plant a seed in the ground, it produces life. The seed breaks through the soil. And if you listen, it says, look at me, I'm alive. <laughs> Have you heard that? 
Well, maybe you've seen it, right? That's not all that a seed does. Once it breaks through the soil, it grows and it becomes a mature plant. And once it becomes a mature plant, it reproduces itself. Its seeds fall to the ground and eventually they sprout and grow and they become like the plant from which they came. And I would suggest to you that there's a sense in which this is what it is like for us when we come to know the Lord. We experience spiritual life through the Word of God. And then we grow as a disciple, we mature as a disciple, and then we, could we say, reproduce ourselves in the lives of others? Or put another way, salvation leads to discipleship and results in evangelism. That makes sense? Salvation leads to discipleship and then it results in evangelism. And I would suggest that's really the kind of the progression of, of this prayer of Jesus. In the first five verses, he talks about finishing the work of salvation through his death on the cross. And then in the second section of this prayer, Jesus prays for his disciples. His work is carried on through these men, so he prays that they will grow, become mature, be protected by the Father. And then in this third section, which we just read, Jesus prays for the work of evangelism that will be accomplished through his church. And Jesus looks far into the future as the church finishes its mission, as it is gathered in glory. And that's the day we wait for, isn't it? When Jesus comes again and, and all those who, who know Him and love Him, we are gathered together. We're singing, The Lord is our salvation. We're singing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. This is just a little foretaste of that. I know it's good to see you back. <laughs> just to gather together. But imagine that day when all the saints of all the ages will be gathered worshiping the Lord. So how will the work of evangelism be finished? Jesus speaks about finishing the work, and He's going to finish this work as well. I would suggest three things. Notice the work of evangelism is finished through the proclamation of the Word. One of the things that Jesus did for His disciples was to give them the Word that the Father had given to Him. And the reason why Jesus gave the Father's Word to His disciples is that they might receive it and believe in Him. Jump back to verse 8. Jesus said, For the words which you gave Me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you and they believed. They believed that you sent Me. Now, that's wonderful, right? The Word of God has been given to us that we might believe in Jesus, that we might receive that message, that that seed of the Word of God might be planted in us. But that's not the only reason Jesus has given His Word. The Word from the Father wasn't just for these men. The Word of the Father was given that they would proclaim it to others. Verse 20, Jesus says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. It's not just for these men, but for those also who believe in Me through their Word. In other words, the Word of the Father 
was given to Jesus to give to the disciples that they might give it to others. Proclaimed to the very ends of the earth. Now I would suggest to you, and I hope you don't disagree with me on this, that proclaiming the Word of God is a foundational principle of evangelism, right? That is bedrock foundational truth that proclaiming the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, that is the foundational principle of evangelism. In fact, apart from the Word of God, there's no salvation. We are born again through the living and abiding Word of God, right? We just read that from 1 Peter chapter 1. But some see evangelism today as more of a, a social ministry, the social gospel, or sometimes called liberation theology. These churches believe we need to set people free from oppression and poverty, and so they focus on the social needs of people. Now, that's not wrong to focus on the social needs of people, but if that's all you do, if there's no preaching of the Word of God, how can there be spiritual life? Others equate evangelism with entertainment. They're willing to do whatever it takes to get people in the door of the church. And when they get them in the door of the church, they offer more of a production than a worship service, and there's very little focus on the Word. And others equate evangelism with what is called being seeker-sensitive. They believe people need to be comfortable in church. You don't want to do anything or say anything that would offend them. They don't want to hear about anything negative. Uh, one pastor told me that there is a very large church, he didn't say what it was, in the metropolitan area where we live, where the pastor says, don't bring your Bible to church because it might be offensive to some people. Wow. Why do we gather? We gather to open up the Word of God, to receive what, what God wants to give to us. So, you, so what you find today in, in some churches is, is what I would call a glaring absence and a seeming lack of confidence in the power of God's Word. As if the Word of God does not change life. It does. It is the power of God unto salvation. And evangelism must include the preaching of God's Word. Jesus obviously believed that the Word of God was essential. It was enough. He said there will be those who will believe in Him through the Word that He had given to His disciples. And if you read the other uh, epistles, you will find over and over how James and Peter and Paul great confidence in the power of God's Word. We believe that this Word is life-giving, life-sustaining. And so therefore, we need to share it. We need to proclaim it. I look at the book of Acts and it's just like, wow, these men believed in that, didn't they? They really believed in that. And they spoke the Word in the temple courts. They spoke the Word in the synagogues. They spoke the Word before the Sanhedrin. They spoke the Word before governors and kings. They shared it one-on-one -on -one with people. They were so committed to proclaim the Word of God, they could not be stopped. I was reminded of Acts chapter 4 when Peter and John were arrested. Remember, they had healed this blind man, or the, the lame man, and, and preaching and teaching, they were told, no more of this. <laughs> and Acts chapter 4 says, verse 18, And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. 
But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to heed you rather than God, you be the judge. Okay, who are we going to obey? Is it going to be you or God? Then he said, verse uh, verse 20, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Isn't that great? We cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. We cannot stop. We've seen what Jesus has done. He died and rose again. He is transforming lives. That's the message that we need to proclaim. It's no wonder God used these people, right? (laughs) They were not going to be silenced. And in our culture today, people want to silence us. Oh yeah, you can gather in your churches and talk about this, but don't bring it into the marketplace. Don't bring it out there. Are we going to listen? Or be like Peter and John? We can't, we can't stop. Remember Jeremiah? He said, when I preached the Word, all it brought me was heartburn. He said, but i got to get rid of that heartburn. I, I can't stop proclaiming the Word. That, that's foundational to evangelism, right? Proclaiming the proclamation of the Word of God. Notice, secondly, the work of evangelism is finished through the unity of the church. The proclamation of the Word and the unity of the church go hand in hand. And we see that so clearly in Jesus' prayer. Through the Word, people hear the message of salvation. But through the church, people see the message of salvation. They see what the gospel does. How it changes people's lives. It unites people together that actually love each other and care for one another. And in the New Testament church, when you saw Jew and Gentile loving each other, what did that say to the world? Wow. There's something to this. If God can bring together people that were at such odds with one another, that must be a message that is real. And they saw it. And they need to see it today. Notice how Jesus emphasizes this. Verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who will believe in Me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that, what? The world may believe that you sent me. Verse 23, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them, even as you have loved me. This unity that Jesus speaks of here is a supernatural unity created by God. It is so amazing that it's compared to the unity that exists between the Father and the Son. What kind of unity is there between the Father and the Son? A oneness that is perfect. Jesus prayed in verse 21 that they may all be one. And notice the comparison. Even as, even as you, Father, are in me 
and I in you, that they also may be in us. In other words, we who know Jesus are so closely united with God that we share in His nature. Think of that. 2 Peter 1.4 says, He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Think of that. Bruce Milne says the life we share as Christians is therefore nothing less than a, than a participation in the life of the Godhead. It is a unity which not merely reflects, but actually participates in the unity of God. So the unity that we have as believers in Jesus isn't something we created. It's not something that said, hey, let's gather together, let's be one. It is something God created. It is something that He has done by bringing us into fellowship with Him and therefore into fellowship with one another. And it's a unity that we are commanded to preserve. We didn't create it. What does God say in His Word? Ephesians 4.3, Paul says that we are to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we didn't create the unity we have. God did. But we are to preserve that unity. And if you're wondering how that's done, Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 2, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. That promotes unity, doesn't it? When you are humble instead of proud, when you are gentle instead of harsh, when you are patient instead of impatient, when you really love one another, that preserves that unity. And if you're wondering why we are to preserve that unity, Paul says this in Ephesians 4, there's one body and one spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who was over us all. See the oneness there? One, 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 being united together. Now, if you look at what Jesus says about all this, you will notice how important it is when it comes to evangelism. Twice Jesus makes that very clear. So that the world may believe that you sent me, so that the world may know that you have sent me. There is something about a united body of believers that makes an impact on the world. When they see that we love each other, when they see that we are in this together, that we care for one another, it says something to the world. What did Jesus say in John 13? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know what? That you are my disciples if you have love for one another. First John chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, Listen to this. If we love one another, God abides in us 
And His love is perfected in us. So when we love each other in the body of Christ, the invisible God is made visible. Right? People see Jesus in us when we love one another. One author says, just as Jesus disclosed the unseen God to the world by becoming flesh, so the church will be a visible revelation of the unseen Father and His love. Thus, while the unity Jesus prays for us is not organizationally produced, it is equally not historically invisible. The world needs to see our unity, he says. That's why it's tragic. It's very tragic when there is division in the body of Christ. Not only does it bring pain within the body, heartache among the people of God, but the church's testimony to the world of the power of the gospel is hindered. If we don't live any different than the world lives, what are people going to say? If we fight and bicker like everybody else, what's the world going to say? What has Jesus done for you? But when we live in a way that is different from the world, united together, loving and caring for one another, that causes the world to take notice. The unity in the body of Christ. Bruce Milne reminds us that evangelism is a community act. It is the proclamation of the church's relationships as well as its convictions. The gospel proclaimed from the pulpit is either confirmed and hence immeasurably enhanced or it is contradicted and hence immeasurably weakened by the quality of the relationships in the pews. He says, in this sense, every Christian is a witness. Every time we gather together, he says, we either strengthen or weaken the evangelistic appeal of our church by the quality of our relationships with our fellow church members. So, maybe it's good to ask ourselves, what kind of relationships do we have in our church? Do we have those ones that encourage one another and build up one another and care for one another? Are we proclaiming the gospel by the way we live that people can see that Jesus Christ has made a difference in the way we live? I hope so. I love our church. We're not a perfect church, but I pray that God will work in us in such a way that there will be a, a, a display to the world that, that Jesus is working here. That Jesus is changing transforming lives. Remember the story of a little boy who, who used to walk past this house every Sunday morning and, and uh, someone asked him, where are you going every Sunday morning? He said, I'm going to church. He said, well, where do you live? Well, I live four blocks over there. Where do you go to church? About eight blocks over there. Well, aren't there other churches on the way? Oh yeah, there's other churches on the way. He said, well, why do you go so far to that church? He says, because they love people over there. That's why I go. Do we love people? Are we united together? I pray we are. That's a part of evangelism. Because the people of the world then see there's something different about this church. Something different about 
a congregation where people love each other, are united together. That unity that God has produced through giving Jesus for us. The third thing we notice, then the work of evangelism is finished for the eternal glory of God and His people. The book of Hebrews makes an interesting statement about how Jesus endured the suffering on the cross. Hebrews 12 says, It was the joy that was set before Him. Remember that passage? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12, to the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the joy set before Him, at least one thing is that He sat down again at the right hand of the throne of God. He returned to the Father after giving His life, after His death and resurrection. He experienced again the glory that He had temporarily laid aside by taking on human flesh. This is what Jesus said earlier in His prayer. Now, Father, verse 5, glorify Me together with Yourself with the glory which I had with You before the world began. So Jesus returned to the glory He laid aside But think of this. He is returning to the glory that He laid aside by bringing people with Him. And look at the prayer that He prays in verse 24. Father, He said, I desire that they also, whom You have given Me, be with Me where I am. Why? So that they may see My glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus said, I want them with me to see my glory. That's why he came. Not just to save us from judgment. Thank God for that. But Jesus also saved us that he might bring us to heaven. And we would see then his glory. My dad used to say, every time... A believer in Jesus dies. Jesus' prayer is answered. And he quoted this verse, John 17, verse 24. Father, I want them to be with me that they may see my glory. So every time a believer goes home to be with the Lord, that prayer of Jesus is answered because they behold His glory. Warren Wiersbe said, I've often used John 17, 24 as a text for funeral meditations. How do we know the Christians go to heaven, he says? Here's his answer. Because of the price that Jesus paid and the promise that Jesus made and the prayer that Jesus prayed. That, that's, if, you, if you've read Wearsby, there, there's, a, there's a Wearsbyism. I mean, that's, that's him. The price that Jesus paid, the promise that Jesus made, and the prayer that Jesus prayed. Is it your desire that people might be with Jesus, that they will behold His glory? That ought to be the prayer of every disciple of Jesus. We've experienced that forgiveness. We've experienced salvation. 
We are experiencing the process of maturing as we become disciples of Jesus. It does not end there. Because when you are growing in your faith, how can you just say, you know, this is just for me. I'm so happy to be saved. What about the world out there? What about those who, who don't know Jesus? Jesus awaits that day. He, he focuses on that day when we'll be gathered around the throne. And we want more to be there, don't we? There's still room there. There's still room there. And there are people all around us who need to hear the message of salvation and to see it in what He does in our midst as He changes us day by day, making us more like Jesus as a testimony to the world of His saving grace. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this wonderful prayer of Jesus. A prayer about salvation, a prayer of discipleship, a prayer of evangelism. And those of us who know You, Lord Jesus, I pray that You would give to us that desire that others would come to know You. Help us to open our mouths and share that message. Help us to live in such a way that draws people to You, Lord, as they see the love and unity in the body of Christ. And Lord Jesus, You will be glorified on that day as Your church is gathered from every tribe and tongue and people and nation offering praise to You. Lord, stir us today. Uh, Move our hearts for those around us that need a Savior and help us to be a part of that work of bringing them to you, Lord Jesus, that they might experience the joy of knowing knowing you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.